So one thing that we mention from time to time, but don't always remember to mention, is that we have an email address. If you hear something that you like and you want to know more about it, you want to make a suggestion for something that we should cover, or uh, you just want to uh, retch and uh, bark at the moon or whatever the kids say, uh, shoot us a message at messagesomebody at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, somebody likes it, and you may like somebody likes it. And you can be somebody who likes somebody likes it, <laughs> at least on Facebook. No, I'm just confused. Why don't we let uh, Why don't we let Shane lead us off? Shane. Uh, yeah, Kevin's being ironical because we are a man down. Oh yeah, well that's about as ironic as that Alanis Morissette song that you like to talk about. Yeah. So much. Oh, the, the the only ironic thing about it is that it's not actually ironic. <laughs> it's not actually ironic. Yeah, Shane's not here. Shane is uh Shane is otherwise uh, uh engaged or something this evening. Couldn't join us. Yeah, um, indisposed. Yeah, but uh, but we're we're here. Me and uh, myself, Kevin, Ryan, Mark. We've met, right? We've met, yeah, yeah, a couple of times. Hey, you! I know you. And uh, and so yeah, um, and I, we were talking a little bit before uh, we started to roll about what's been. You know, we usually like to lead off the show with that, talking about what's kind of going on in the news. And Ryan, you mentioned something that I had heard, and I we've lost a, a giant uh, in the in the field of music. Yeah, that of course, is Lou Pearlman, the Svengali behind such uh, musical geniuses as In uh, Sync and Backstreet Boys and Ninety Eight Degrees and O Town. Yeah, he died uh, in the joint, right? He was in the joint in the Huskow. Uh, in the pokey. The pokey. Uh, yeah, apparently he was a Ponzi schemer. Um, yeah. And there were some allegations that he may have been a little overly affectionate with some of the young men in his charge. Oh, <laughs> oh, town indeed. Yeah. <laughs> like, Talk about being in sync. Yeah, like, I don't know. That's yeah, just he might have been in in sync. I don't. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, he. You know, not necessarily much of my favorite music or whatever, and. Um, so, I don't have a lot of strong feelings about his passing, but it, it's notable. Yeah. Well. Anyway. I, I did read a thing that uh, he was saying that he was going to try to orchestrate a comeback from, from the inside, like while incarcerated. Yeah. And anyway, I don't think it ever really got off the ground. <laughs> Would that work exactly? <laughs> I'm not sure. I also read so not a bunch of collect phone calls to like nineteen-year-old boys. <laughs> I would, I would, I, I read that, I read that that guy died, and then I read that. Um, I swear to God, I read both these things today. I read that Lou Pearlman, uh, that whatever the father of uh, boy band uh, formation, whatever, died, and then I also read that um, in prison. Uh, ramen is really valuable. <laughs> like I, like that actually happened. I've heard that. Yeah, they make like some kind of like um, like ghetto stew with it. Put yeah. like Cheetos and shit. Yeah, in it. Yeah, they, it's like a thing, and you could trade cigarettes for it. Well, well I don't know how we're gonna top all this, but maybe we should get the show started, guys. <laughs> all right, let's get in here. I'm Ryan. I'm Kevin. I'm Mark. This is somebody likes it. <laughs> So this week we are um, taking out the jams, as it were, 
Yeah, yeah, I understand that. We done kicked him out. Well, and when you and when you mentioned this, um, and we can get to what it is more specifically here in just a second. But when you mentioned this to Shane at the tail end of uh, last podcast, he said uh, that he just figured that you were eventually about to get to this one. And why did he say that? Well, because it's it's kind of the third in the triumvirate of like proto punk bands that are cited with sort of you know starting the musical revolution that eventually became punk rock the other two being the other two being the stooges and uh new york dolls yeah. both of whom we have covered at my behest, behest yeah. yes yeah all right well this time around we're talking about uh the mc5 uh first record which is live which i don't anyway uh it's called kick out the jams yeah well uh, and i think before we get started i mean one thing that's important to remember is that you you don't want the worst thing that can happen is for your jams to get impacted. So, so you got to kick them out. You got to just kick them right out. Just yeah. get them the hell out of there with the Weren't jams. those like uh, colorful like floral shorts in the 80s? Oh, they were. Jams. They were. Jams. Yeah. Nice. yeah. You could have, you could wear jams and vans at the same time. You could wear jams and vans. I'm sure plenty of people did. <laughs> in your van as it would have turned out. But anyway, um I don't know. Thanks, dad. Yeah, exactly. So, um yeah, so but kick out the jams. It's funny, you know, the funny thing about the MC5 is, like, I, um, oh, so, so, I reached out to, um, a friend of ours who has not done the show yet, uh, but who is music aficionado, and I just, uh, we, Mark and I were downtown, I don't know, a few weeks ago, and bumped into a buddy of mine, and, uh, and mentioned that we were doing this podcast, and he said, oh, I'll have to come on and do it sometime. Well, anyway, so I shot him a note. And I said, hey, it looks like Shane can't be here tonight. Do you want to sit in? We're covering uh, the MC5's Kick Out the Jams. And he wrote me back mostly in all caps. <laughs> like he was yelling at you? Yeah, he, he was like, he, was, he said, you know, it was like the Motor City motherfucking five. And then he said, I've got to do a trivia thing tonight, so I can't make it. But uh, oh, bummer. Yeah, but anyway, uh, we will have to, um, uh, TVH... You know who you are. We will we'll invite you again to come out and do these one of these days. But um, but anyway, like this is this is one of these these records I feel like I have always. It shows up on a lot of best of lists, and it's like and it's know, like reading a certain classic. It's like you kind of feel yeah, like you, you just got to gotta knock it. it off the list at some point. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, but I but I didn't know it, and when I when I was poking around and I found out that this this record was uh, live, I thought, well, maybe. Maybe I'm just not finding the studio version. Well, no, that's what I thought because I, I looked it up on Spotify and I was like, well, I guess they just don't have it. And uh, yeah, and did some more poking around. Like, no, they just released a fucking live record. It's their first LP. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And this is one of those bands too, where it's like, you know, I think one thing that we that we sort of talk around, but we don't talk about a lot, is that like uh, a lot of like rock and rollers who like really dove into the late '60s and early '70s hard just uh, died poorly like they just oh, a bunch of these guys are, are dead now yeah um, and there's like sort of there has been like kind of a second like liver failure a couple heart attacks yeah um, yeah it's a uh, it's they they lived hard and they died whatever harder relatively young yeah um, but the band itself wasn't around for that long like, like three years something yeah. like that mm-hmm. I mean like once, like once they once they put out their first record this so this was recorded in 1968 released in 1969 same signed by the same guy who signed this signed the Stooges 
Like he came in town to check out MC5, and they were like, uh, "Go check out this band, The Stooges, too." And he loved both of them, and it makes sense. Yeah. Um, that a dude who loves the MC5 would also like The Stooges. Yeah. Uh, but they both got signed to Electra. But I'll gotta tell you, like, I found it more influential than good. Like, I kind of feel the same. I way. wasn't blown away. Like, I loved that Stooges record, and I liked the New York Dolls thing quite a bit too. But this one, I was just kind of like. Eh, you know, I wish they'd done it in a studio, at least. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I could see that. Um, well, and it's hard to, I yeah. think, it's hard to reconnect, or to try and connect with this album that um, clearly, like, this is another one of these where I think that, like, the most compelling thing about the record might be that it was recorded on Devil's Night and Halloween Night in like nineteen yeah back to back nights sixty nine I don't know what Devil's Night is I guess Devil's Night is a night is, before is, is a night before like thing and it's a like kind of a Detroit deal like it is and it gets played up in every now and then in in places that really like in entertainment that really wants to play up Detroit's grit you know like dangerous grit factor like in the movie The Crow. Um, you know, the, the devil's night stuff is like, they just people, crazy people in Detroit run around lighting things on fire, like homes and people. I'll tell you what, I've been to Detroit and I was really impressed with how Detroit, Detroit looked. Yeah. It was just roads and like signs of tires and shit. Yeah. Like it's a very much a motor city. It's totally a motor city. Yeah. um, And if you drive up from Indiana, you actually drive up past, uh, like Whatever, like a, a giant tire, like a like oh yeah, there's, gi- there's a giant tire to, off of the side of the road. Anyway, you're coming it's a into Detroit. Terrific podcast, yeah. really. But uh, <laughs> just going to describe Detroit for the yes, or the roads to Detroit. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I do think that it, it's like for those reasons, it's one of these, it's one of these works where, really, to opt in, like. It's hard to it's hard to harder to get your head around it now after the fact when the when the sound well, quality been, is like not particularly great and no it's, like, it's it's the sound quality is not so great and it's been hyped endlessly right uh, before I got to it and I'd probably heard the title track a couple times at you know your hipper jukeboxes around town or whatever right. but uh, other than that I I didn't really have much familiarity with it well um, and it's kind of one of those that like well and the great let's talk about it, the great irony is is like uh, it doesn't get you know, here years after the fact, like it doesn't get criticized that harshly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it came out, like, sort of what made the bones of uh, of the most well known rock critic in history was trashing oh, this. Lester record. Banks, yeah, was yeah, Lester Banks trashed the shit out of this record. Um, and we can share a little bit of that. But do you wanna do you wanna go ahead and jump into a track? Yeah, let's get into the the namesake, uh, kick out the jams, which I, I do enjoy this song, um, and we'll we'll get into the finer points of that on the other side. But yeah, kick out the jams, kick it. <laughs> Kick out the jail! Yes! Kick out the jail! I have to kick out the jail! 
Yeah, I, ge- I genuinely love that song. Um, and I think it would have been a fucking blast to be at that show more than to hear it, you know, uh, no, I mean, distilled it's, through. You're taken by the like kind of tidal wave of that. Of just the way that that whole band lurches forward, like those guitars are just. Oh yeah, they're they're just mean all over, you know. And just, just grabbing your the face. like, I feel like, like, great music and great comedy are similar in that like you got to grab the audience by the lapel, and I feel like that. that no, track they, def- they definitely do with it on that one. Mark, you were uh, saying, did, has anybody covered this? And, yeah, Mark, and oddly enough, everyone has covered this. <laughs> Like apparently the presidents of the United States of America in between recording songs about peaches and lumps uh, (laughs) had a crack at this one. Apparently they did an upbeat version of this song, which I was like, uh, well, that's yeah, the funny that's the way that Wikipedia characterized it. But like, I guess their version was like a I don't know. All I could say is like, I can only imagine that it would be peppier. I haven't heard it. So I can like kind of peppy band. Yeah. But yeah, that was their calling card. So but yeah, Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, Rage Against the Machine, which makes perfect sense. Sure. Uh, Henry Rollins with Bad Brains, Africa Bombada, Monster Magnet, Guitar Wolf, Silver Chair. Remember Silver Chair? That was like wow, like a bunch yeah. of like fourteen and fifteen year olds from Australia. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Pearl Jam, British band KLF. Remember them? Like uh, do, they like yeah. sampled it. Uh, anyway. But I could see, I could almost see that, like the KLF version of that. Like, um, this, I feel like this song, in some ways, might be easier to sample than it would be to cover, because of that, like iconic. Because you can just pull out that kind of fuzzy part. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard that. But MC Five never recorded a studio version of this song. Not to my knowledge. Um, yeah, Why it's not? just it's just so weird to me that their debut major label record is live. Uh, yeah, but I wonder, and so this wasn't clear, but I but I wonder if it was like, and I feel like this is just maybe, uh, well, who the hell knows, but it, it could be very well a similarity in just the way that the music industry ran back then as opposed to how it does now. Like, well, there were a lot more live albums back then. Well, um, it was just a thing, right? And mm-hmm. there were a lot more acts that were essentially signed to big deals after they already had some critical mass in certain regions of the country. So like, Oh yeah. These guys were pulling in like over a thousand people a night when they were playing around Detroit. But it was like a, it's like a, you know, and it's not the same thing, but it's like an early kiss deal. Like, you know, like they, this was a band that was like kind of, well, and that's, some, that's, that's actually, it's funny you bring them up also a Detroit band, but um, right. I can hear them having heard this and kind of polishing it up. And, oh sure, and glamming it up a little bit. Yeah, um, but I can definitely hear some some kiss, some proto and then, kiss. Yeah, and then somebody like you know left out some makeup one day. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, like Gene Simmons tripped and fell on a like some pancake uh, makeup. <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly we might have something happened. here. Yeah, no, it's a uh, solid. Yeah, it's we're basically just constructing reality show as we speak, but. Anyway, no, um, yeah, you know, in terms, like, I can totally see how this band would be, and it, it was funny to me that they, even in the in the Wikipedia piece, they got listed as as a proto-punk band, and mm-hmm. I was like, that's a very specific term for you to use, Wikipedia, because usually you're not that exact, but uh, you know how, like, I kind of like to um, pick on Pitchfork a little bit, because they find religion mm-hmm. with records, um, in fairness, uh, Rolling Stone did the same thing here. Like, Lester Bangs just 
just well, gave yeah, this Stone did that a lot back in the day. Like they they shit all over the first couple of Zeppelin records. Now yeah. they've you know they're like five stars. Yeah, they're well, and it's like one of those deals where it's like every twenty minutes they're putting out a you know the top hundred records of twenty minutes ago, which is a really complicated list it's to come up specific. with. It is very yeah. specific at a you know tiny window, but still. Um, yeah, so I would like to, at the very least, talk a little bit about the Lester Banks piece on that. Like, ultimately, uh, he was, you know, all I all I can think. The funny thing is, like, I kind of go back to um, uh, what was the Cameron Crowe movie that almost uh, famous? Yeah, where and and uh, the Lester Banks character says uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman says as Lester Banks, he tells, you know. He tells the the main character to be uh, unmerciful, and I feel mm. like that's how his review comes off. Like, did you have you read it? I have no. I haven't read the whole thing. I, I saw a quote like in the little Wikipedia thing, but yeah, no, it's it is um, it's pretty harsh. I won't go into through the whole thing, but um, yeah, there is a little piece where he like the, an excerpt that where he calls it a ridiculous, overbearing, pretentious album, and then essentially he uses a bunch of in, sort of inside baseball. Specific. He references the Kingsman at one point. The Trogs come up. Like mm-hmm. essentially, um, you can tell that well, the Kingsman that, that was the one who popularized Louis Louis and like had to have like congressional hearings about it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think like the basically the the big gist of the of the Lester Banks piece was that I think he really railed against the fact that this record already had had critical mass behind it. Like there was already a wave of, by the time that he sat down to review it and he was trying to make his bones, mm-hmm. like this was already one of these, these, uh, like you were just supposed to like it. You were supposed to like it. Culturally. If you had street cred, like it yeah. had street cred and he just decided, uh, no, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and the funny thing is, is like, there are a lot of hallmarks of this, like the types of stuff that he, that he really got into. Like we could sort of make this whole thing about Western Rings, which is not, but, uh but it is kind of funny that like this is where he planted his flag in the ground. Like, you know, I can't can't cross this you know line of respectability or whatever. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, it's like, yeah, you know, I do what I want. Yeah, exactly. Chaos, terror. Anyway, Mark, your thoughts on Lester or on this album? Oh, any of it. <laughs> well, the song in particular. Uh, well, yeah, I mean. I, I was familiar with the song. I knew somebody had covered it. I just, I, I was, I, I'm still kind of like you guys, uh, interested in, in why they would debut with a live album. And I don't know if it was, if it was a, a low risk type of thing. There, there was probably less, less investment on. Well, the, certainly. I mean, they're the not having to pay for studio part. time. Sorry. Certainly, they're not having to pay for studio time. Right. Um. um so I don't know. I mean. Was it that, or was it just that, like, like you um, implied, they were already pulling in a thousand people a show, and and they they already had the street cred. They didn't really need to release a studio album first. They could just put out. Yeah, something. I don't know. Like, I, I, you know, apparently their live shows were amazing, and maybe they just thought they could capture that energy and you know put it on wax. Like, uh, hard to say, but. Well, what surprised you, like? When you were, you know, when you sat back and listened to this, I mean, I get what you're saying about uh, how maybe it was harder to stay with, uh, you know, this kind of fuzzy live version of a band that you that you didn't necessarily already know intimate. But but what what surprised you about about this record? Was there anything that kind of caught your attention? And you thought, oh well, 
Maybe that was. Well, that I, mean, wasn't I was what a little I surprised that I wasn't into it more. Like I love that Stooges record we covered, um, and I I, I kind of you know had heard so much about this particular album that I I just well first I was surprised that it was live and I you know mentioned that but um, I just I I fully expected to be kind of blown away and I was there was a mild breeze. So <laughs> you typically like more of the less refined yeah type of recordings right well i mean like uh i love um oh um surfer rosa by the pixies and sure. it's it's a pretty like stripped down type of recording but it's it's light years more produced than this um this is just a little bit too much uh you know i, I don't know it just it and probably the recording techniques were not you know what they could be today i don't know if you could go in through the soundboard back then in 68 but maybe but it just it just i don't know it's a little too rough around the edges for me well quoting our friend uh mr bangs he says about a month ago the mc5 received a cover article in rolling stone proclaiming them the new sensation a group to break all barriers kick out all jams quote total energy thing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Never mind that they came on like a bunch of 16-year-old punks on a meth power trip. These boys, uh, so the line ran, could play their guitars like John Coltrane and Pharaoh uh, Sanders played sax, exclamation point. Well, and that's the other thing. I guess what you're asking, like, what surprised me is, um, you know how I'm not the biggest uh, proponent of free jazz? No, you, everybody should pay for jazz. That's right. Yeah. It's like a $5 cover. Exactly. Um, all so jazz. That's, that's, and that's, where did we kill the industry? I think that maybe was where that happened. No, anyway, you're you're not a but big no, proponent. But no, like they were real into jazz without know, Coltrane and, you know, and all this stuff with without very much structure to it. Um and I guess they liked Sonny Sherrick a whole lot who was like a an electric guitar free jazz kind of guy. Um but that stuff just does, is not where I live. Um there was there was a little bit less structure to this record than I would have liked. Um, so was it was it that it's not where you live, or was it that where it lives seems inaccessible to you, or it's not it's necessarily a place they couldn't get you to follow? Is really what it sounds like to me. Yeah, I mean there there were there were songs with more structure than others. I mean it ends on Starship, which is, which is just all over the place. Um, well, and the, there's a track a track or two before that. I'm not looking at the listings right now. That's a little like. Frankly, like a flat blues tune. Well, yeah, like, and actually, uh, that's the one I want to play next. Is Motor City is burning, uh, and I think it, it says Al Smith is the one who wrote it, and I don't know who that is. Um, well, let's find out after right. we listen to it. <laughs>
Not a lot of people know that's a. Um, is that uh, is that Al, an Al Yankovic uh, original? Not an Al Yankovic original. Uh, Al Green. Yes. Al Green. Is it Al Green? Uh, it's Al Smith. Al Smith, and actually, and recorded by John Lee Hooker. This. Say again. And recorded by John Lee Hooker originally. Which sounds right. about right. Like yeah, that just sounds like a straight up just blues song. Well, and that's the funny thing too is like you think about the pedigree of this record, or at least what has been what's been passed down as kind of the popular zeitgeist to this record, and and occasionally it gets mentioned that oh yeah, there's some there's some blues in there, and there's some garage band in there, and like the line between garage band and punk band sometimes I think is really blurry. True. But, but a blues song sounds like a blues song. Sounds, sounds like, like a blues, blues song. song. Yeah, and that's that's all that is. It's just a, a fuzzier blues song, um, but yeah. that's that's pretty much where it's living. Yeah, right, and the, right to, to me, like the record's really kind of all over the place. Some of it, you know, is like kick out the jams. It's just like a you know tight fucking rock and roll motherfucking song. Yeah, this is just straight up blues, and then there's other parts where it's just jazzy and scattershot. Yeah. Um, I don't yeah. know. I think it would have been a blast to be at the show, but like, I'm probably not going to be listening to this on heavy rotation. Uh, well, and I soon. am kind of curious, uh, you know, that we mentioned that this is recorded over a two day span on Devil's Night and Halloween Night, and so I'm sure that they were like they're big over the top shows, by like just given the circumstances in Detroit at that and time. And they're all anyway. amped up on candy. Yes, there you can tell they're like this one goes out to corn, candy corn. Um, I don't know <laughs> that that's true, but. Uh, Anyway, but but I do think that like I am kind of curious as to like I wonder if they if it was one of these deals where they came out and did the same set twice and then they just edited it on the back end because it doesn't feel like it like it just feels like a ramshackle like just like, a show hot yeah, yeah hot mess so well probably so because I did notice that um, there are like little one second gaps between the songs where there's there's no sound like yeah. it like it skips together or you know skips from one to the other like a regular album would rather yeah. than just being a seamless just set yeah so i'll bet that is what they did they just kind of cherry pick the best performances from the two nights yeah um, i don't know um but it's yeah, at the very least like i'm kind of even if it's not sort of what i was expecting in some ways it's good to it's good to finally know what the heck people are talking about. No, it was one I definitely wanted to cross off my list. And are we? Um, I think we're kind of at the at the place where we might be ready for the intermission. I think we are. Hey, so here's something. Welcome to the intermission, everybody. Today well, we're I feel different. <laughs> really? Taller? Something like that. Yeah, anyway. Um, Baller. Actually. So, yeah, for, so today for um, for um, a few minutes with, we're going to um, also take a trip uh, kind of in the Wayback Machine, but uh, to a slightly different era, and uh, we're going to give a listen to the Kim Wilde track, Kids in America. Kim well, Wilde, who's not from America. Right, saying about the kids in America. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as as counterpoint to the MC5. Okay. Let's give it a spin. Looking out a dirty old window Down below the cars in the city go rushing by I sit here alone and I wonder why
was uh, Kim Wilde's uh, Kids in America, which reached number two on the UK charts in 1983. I just kept thinking, hey, remember the 80s? <laughs> right. That's well, about, you know, the about the most thing, 80s fucking looking video I've ever seen in my life. No, it's a super 80s looking video. And I, that's the other hallmark, too, of like, you know, I always I always make the joke about all the drummers being in the rain in the mm-hmm. 80s, like, which is totally true. The other thing was all the dry ice, dry ice and like overuse of blinds. Like, yeah, there was like a lot of like kind of reverse peeping Tom going in there. Dudes inside peering through blinds <laughs> right? at the outside. Yeah, yeah, like and like that just like amped up the mystery or something. I don't know, but um, I kept uh, kept expecting Billy Squire to awkwardly dance across the, ba- <laughs> the background. That's a meme that I wish actually existed. That Billy Squire just went well. This is what my career is, so fuck it. I'm just going to do this in everybody else's videos. Squire rolling? <laughs> yeah. Squire exactly. rolling, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, you know. Yeah, dude's hard, like just, just peering hard. through blinds and then decides to go touch Kim Wilde on the shoulder, which well, barely pissed her off. Well, she says, hold me tight. And the guy touches her on the shoulder, and then she pushes him off. Also, uh, this is another one of these songs that makes that weird convention where they talk about like directions that nobody cares about. Yeah, it's like East California. East California is really Nevada, if you think about it. More or less, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, I mean, what what part of East California? Depending on where you start. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and frankly, it's not a bad song. Like, uh, I remember when I was a kid and it would come on MTV, I liked it. Um, But it does seem rather cynical now that you think about it. Like, because she's not from America, and she says, we're the kids in America. Well, no, no, you're not. no, I get you're well, trying to appeal to point the of American order, market. Kim Wilde. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, but the other here's the other thing too, and this is just like some weird. I had this stuck in a in a weird spot in my brain where it's like having never like I'd never seen that video, or at least I've never I don't remember seeing that video until tonight. Oh, it was on heavy rotation on MTV. I feel certain yeah. that I have seen it at some point before, but it's just not in the frontal lobe. So, uh, for whatever reason, and. You know, upon cri- a critical listen, like clearly it's not the same thing, but it's like I really had it in my head for the longest time that this was a Blondie track. Like, I mean, they're they're like similar in style, similar but. in style, but like, uh, but obviously there are just a you know there are some there are some differences. But um, uh, interesting fact about uh, Kim Wilde these days: not only you know whatever she sold ten million records, her dad was a like I guess an early. Um, rock and roller in in the uk uh, kevin's using air quotes to say rock i am and using roller. air quotes which really makes for a terrific podcast but but beyond that um she this is what i found most interesting in her wikipedia profile she has uh apparently branched branched into an alternative career as a landscape gardener <laughs> so that's kind of the natural progression well i don't know i mean like your music would, career peters out you I would think that like gardens. Yeah, that's like as that's as far from the stage as one gets. Maybe I'm just gonna go outside and dig in the dirt. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's that's Kim Wilde. Um, I didn't know if you guys had done that in an ep- like use that song someplace in an no. episode that I wasn't part of. But um, but also like the the MC5 stuff that we've been doing is is you know it's a little heavy and thuddy and uh, and this Sluggy. song this song feels a little bit more buoyant. So uh, it is a considered a counterpoint. Yeah, this song is a lot like Ivory Soap uh, floats. Yeah, we're just gonna yeah we're just gonna um, scrub it off, and then uh, I guess in the next segment we'll get dirty again. Fair enough. Let's go.
So we're back on the MC5, but before we dive back into that, I'd like to relate that I've just been having, I had like a really Austin moment. We're sitting in Mark's office, which is festooned with computer monitors all over the place, and I was asked Mark like what his company did, and he's like, oh, it's design optimization. Anyway, techie shit. And I went out to have my customary cigarette, uh, you know, right before the intermission. As you do. As is my want. And there was a blues band jamming a couple buildings away. In the Gibson place. That must be what it is. Yeah, uh, yeah we're in uh, Penn Field, which Mark has just informed us was formerly an army barracks uh, back in the day. But anyway, it's it's very techy in here. During and then the First World War, right? First World War, yeah. Yeah. But very techy in here, and then, of course, I step outside, and uh, there's a blues band jamming out uh, just a couple hundred feet away. Which, if I had just moved to Austin, I would think, well, this is what it's like all the time. Everywhere. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and then someone would randomly walk by in a cowboy hat. And thong. Uh, was that what that was? Yeah, cowboy hat. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and, somebody, he's got, and he's got a dog with him. Yeah. Dogs so, Dogs on patios. Anyway, this is, is like essentially like a weird, like, uh, like a Austin chamber, tra- chamber of commerce. Yeah, travelogue. Yeah. Exactly. We're just doing our little bit to pass on a little bit of Austin to you, the listeners. <laughs> And uh, and so, um, circling back into the MC5. Um, radical politically. Um, yeah? Yeah, they were um, kind of leftist. Um, what? Yeah, no, it's true. Um, <laughs> they were affiliated with a group called Up Against the Wall Motherfuckers. Oh, um, yeah. And also... Oh, we um, haven't talked about that at all. Yeah, well, like, they, they were, you know, just kind of tearing shit up and uh, I guess affiliated with the White Panthers who were white people helping out the Black Panthers. Well, and some of this you can actually hear in the record because we've already played um, the title track, but in the very like the very sort of opening bit of the title track is like kind of this rant. And uh, in the rant they talk a little bit about uh, well, the, essentially like they you know, they lead into the song by by screaming "Kick out the jams, motherfuckers!" Which, which, by the way, there was a sanitized version that went out to various retail outlets. Also, it was uh, "Kick out the jams." What was it like "Boys and Girls" or something? Uh, I, I uh, um, uh, father squeakers. <laughs> yeah, brothers and sisters. I think is what it was actually. <laughs> "Kick out the jams, brothers and sisters." Kind of like, like father squeakers. Kind of like my version better. That's gonna be your like. Uh, you know, alt indie band that plays children's parties. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, um, no, but, but yeah, they got into a major, they got into a major kerfuffle. And actually, that might have partially in, ended up being one of the things that ended up killing this band because um, they got into a major, like, tete-a-tete with, uh, with, I think it was like Hudson's Department Store. Like yeah, it was something store that was a major retail that, outlet like, in Michigan. Yeah, and, and like, yeah, and and, and they took out like a full page ad in a, I guess like the weekly or whatever that was like "fuck you Hudson's" or whatever, kind and, of. and put Which, the Electra logo on it, and so the department store countered by just taking off take, uh, taking off the shelves all electric records. Yeah, and uh, anyway, that is and so and so what happened is that Electra ended up dropping MC Five in order to like make good with the department store. Which is funny to me. Like I don't even know. I'm not from Michigan, obviously, so I don't know if that if that department store still exists. But um, but anyway, yeah, they uh, you know it was one of these weird situations where like they they were you know and that's that's another thing too. It's like where does the 
where does the rock and roll ethos draw the line? And clearly with Electra, it was, uh, they're not going to sell any of the things that we make. <laughs> so, well, those those jams were kicked out. They were clearly they were kicked out into the street. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, should we? You want to get back into another one? Uh, how about the first song on the record, uh, "Ramblin' Rose"? That one's got another little prologue. It does have uh, a bit of a prologue, but I'm sure Mark will be able to grab something that actually contains music. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do my best. I like that song all right, but it did remind me of the other influence that I heard in this record, which is the Who. Are you gonna Are you gonna testify right now, Ryan? Well, apparently it only takes five seconds. It only takes five seconds to testify. I was like, clearly this guy never saw the OJ trial because <laughs> that. that well, went, no, he did not see the OJ trial. It was in the future. The gloves on. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, it's true. Um, anyway, yeah, no, that. It's but like, there are more the funny. more bombastic moments of the Who. Kind of remind me of this a little bit, and I wonder if they were fans. Well, and I, I think it, what I'm kind of reading between the lines here, I think you and I sort of feel similarly about this. Is like, you know, it's a lot of a lot of big pomp and circumstance that maybe isn't quite as dangerous as it plays or was at the time. Well, yeah, yeah, it may have been super dangerous. They did at the play at the Democratic National Convention that had all the riots and shit. So I mean, they were in the thick of it. Yeah. So there's a there's a really cool write up on this. This is sort of at this is not the Lester Banks piece, but I do want to share a little bit of. Um, what Pop Matters had to say on this this album, because uh, I feel like it does kind of, and maybe this would have been best shared up top, but um, but they ask kind of an interesting question at the end here, and so I'll just read this quick thing. He says, the year was 1968, and America was on the brink of socio-political upheaval. Two of its brightest visionaries, Martin Luther King Jr. and Bobby Kennedy, had been assassinated. The war in Vietnam was proving tougher than anticipated. With rising numbers of U.S. casualties, uh, LBJ had opted not to run for re-election, thus opening the door for Richard Nixon. The Democratic National Convention turned riotous when Chicago police implemented their own brand of community outreach, <laughs> what it said. Um, the youth of the nation were pissed uh, off and disillusioned, and the establishment was growing more uh, paranoid and oppressive. The climate was tense, angry, and volatile, and the government seemed ready to impose martial law at any moment. And then he says, what better setting for the major label debut of music's most incendiary band, the MC5, and what more appropriate album than the uh, ferocious kick out the jams? I don't necessarily totally end up with where he ended like, or agree with where he ended up there, but I think the table setting, like, we, we, 
we talk probably too much about things being of their time, but in this sense, like it's sort of hard to definitely. Exit. I mean, calamitous and upheaval and and you dangerous. Know, and, yeah, like, and just like you know, th- these guys sound like they could start a riot. Um, if I did, you know, I wonder. Did they call them mosh pits then? Were they moshing? Yet? I don't. I don't think mosh was a word just yet. They're just they're dancing up close. Yeah, Proto mosh. Yes, thank you. Yeah, Mark. Pre mosh. Um, you know, back in the day when I was booking clubs, um, I got sent like a full press kit from this punk band, uh, Mutant Press. I don't know if they're still around or not. Um, they didn't have much of a draw, but anyway, the guy who was the front man for that band had been in a band, you know, like a, a Detroit band around this time. I had played a couple shows with the MC5. And guess how old this guy was, fronting a punk band in Austin? Seven and a half. Sixty. Oh. He was sixty years old. I'm really bad with numbers. Yeah, you were way <laughs> off. <laughs> no. And he was he was all into the radical politics of it, like the songs yeah. on the record. I mean, the record was actually pretty good. Did he uh, sound like Wavy Gravy? Like I feel like there's there's some of those guys that it's just like I don't know what Wavy Gravy. Wavy sounds Gravy like. was a. I know uh, he was like a scenester in like the and a, like yippies a, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Political uh, like. Um, Ne'er do well of, of sorts, but yeah. yeah, and it's like nobody ever told that guy. Like I don't know, maybe you should just go by your name. But um, Steve, but, <laughs> Steve, <laughs> our spokesperson, Steve. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So, but was the guy like, you know, did he did it feel like I don't know? Was he like close to hacky sacks? What was going on there? I, I don't know what close to hacky sacks means. I mean, he wasn't, like, wasn't hippieish. Did he, did he have? Uh, did he have? Like, what, did he have? Did he seem like he was kind of lost in the bubble of whatever that? I, was? I think he had not like ever gotten over this defining era of his youth. Um, he was still like rail thin, like like Mick Jagger thin, but like kind of had like leathery skin. Oh yeah. And like handbag. I talked to like his bass player or whatever, and he just seemed like bemused. By the guy, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't even know, know how to play bass. I'm just here because I like this guy. He's, he's like, well, no, I think the music's pretty good, but like, you know, yeah, dude is old. <laughs> dude, dude is old. It's hard to hard to put that as an excerpt on your album cover. But yeah, still. and he was still trying really hard. I mean, he brought all kinds of like swag and like you know put it around on tables. You and know, stuff, and then I, I and I, I and God love him. Like I did like the music. They they only drew like, like four or five people. Like, what are you gonna you look do? At people like. Iggy Pop and John Cale, they're still doing their thing out there. Yeah, but they have, like, promotions, True. like people helping. Well, anyway, more power to him. I hope that guy has a late career uh, resurgence. Yeah. That. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I he was a genuinely nice guy, but it did seem he was, like, stuck in amber. Uh, and, and I hope he is doing well. Uh, Mark, you have the new song for us tonight that i do and we haven't uh we haven't really touched on these guys because they tend to uh tend clear to the room s- they they tend to sit outside of our wheelhouse as far as the show is concerned but they recently released a new album and i know that uh, ryan is a fan i'm a fan so we're gonna listen to a cut off of radiohead's new album called daydreaming we are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams
like this video will open a lot of doors for Tom York. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure my acid just kicked in. <clears throat> Remind me to become so commercially successful that the last five seconds of my music video could just be me snoring in a cave somewhere. <laughs> Next to a campfire. Yeah, as part of a song. <laughs> like, you just feel like they just they just take it into the label and go like, well, this is what you're getting. <laughs> like, well, here's the concept. It's a MC Escher fever dream. Um, all I know is that that Thom, that Thom York, he gets around. Well, well, yeah, and it's like essentially it's like Tom York's uh, version of the Adjustment Bureau without a love interest or hats. Like he just opens doors and like poof, he's on a mountain or he's. Uh, we we were saying like, uh, do you remember when you had that dream that you were in high school and you're Tom York? Because for a second he's in high school and then he's on the beach and anyway, each door. Opens up a new environment, and sometimes, sometimes it's just random people's house. Sometimes yeah. it's a laundromat. Yeah, sometimes they, it's another door, and they never seem surprised that he's there. Like, yeah, he's just you know, like uh, sauntering on through. Yeah, imagine the 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 swelling strings before he comes through the door might tip people off. I don't know. I feel like when bands get to a place like like Radiohead is, and it's like you see this with other acts too. It's like so. Uh, so the most, the new um, Wilco album is going to be called, or is has Wilco Schmilco, Wilco Schmilco, uh, which is like kind of the ultimate dad joke. And it's like, those guys are just comfortable with who they are. They just do their thing. And these guys are too, but their thing is like increasingly art rock, you know, it's, avant-garde. It's a little more, yeah, avant-garde would, would be a good way to put I mean, it. There are and, some cuts off this album that I, I think. Uh, do they play guitar on any of them? Because yeah. that's what I liked about. Yeah. Radiohead, like you That's mentioned, I'm a Radiohead say. fan. There, there I am, but I'm really a, a Radiohead a fan of two records, which are the Benz and OK Computer. And I love those. A there ton. are some that feel a little bit more uh, uh, back to to that old vibe, but but never not as not as hard rocking as as even yeah, Pablo I, Honey I, or the or the Benz. Yeah, I fucking word. love those records, and it's like, hey, you guys know how to do that shit, like. I guess it's not interesting enough to them well, anymore. You know, so I read um, I read a Klosterman interview of or like a you know, a take on this band, um, and one of the things that stood like a lot of that article I don't remember at this point, but the one thing that really stayed with me was a little bit about their process, and their process is such that they're like they're all these. Um, you know, expert level, like professional musicians. And yeah, they've got world class guitarists yeah, in the no, band. And real, like, sure. So yeah, your point is taken. But but what they what they do is, um, as I recall, Tom York will write piano parts, and then and then the other guys will go away, and then like, you know, they so they kind of compartmentalize all of it. Like he'll write the he'll write a piano part or whatever. The other guys will go away and then put together something that is um, that encapsulates what they could bring to the song, even if it's some of it's super spare. And then the song kind of comes together from these disparate places like a puzzle. Um, and not everybody works that way. And it's like they seem to be perfectly comfortable. So for this way. song, they went away for six weeks and they all came back and said, yeah, we got nothing. Yeah, we got nothing. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I know that Johnny Greenwood does a lot of like scoring for film now, and that's what this song sounds like to me. It's just like ambient background music, you know, for when it kind of looks like that too. The video looks like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, not not bad. I mean, I, I can't. You know, it's not Backstreet Boys or In Sync, as 
you know, Lou Pearlman would not have put this band together. No, Lou Pearlman would not. Uh, but I mean, I'm not going to be jamming out to this on the way home. Yeah. I wonder if he bequeathed ramen to anybody. <laughs> you think? <laughs> you like he left his ramen stash in his will yeah. to his celly? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. It's not good for you. Ramen's not supposed to, it's not like healthy or anything. Yeah. Anyway, enough about ramen and Radiohead. Uh, Mark, thanks for uh, thanks for trotting that out. And Brad, thanks for uh, thanks for sharing a little bit of the MC5 with us. Yeah, this week able to knock it off the list. Yeah. So um, who's next? Uh, would that be you? I guess it would be. Yeah, because Shane had Elvis last time we recorded. Okay. All right. So so here's what we're gonna do. Uh, a record by uh, Tragically Hip. I know one song from them, and that's it. Okay, well, uh, the album is called Phantom Power. Phantom Power by Tragically Hit. Phantom ha- Power by Tragically They're, uh, Hit. They're Canadian, right? Uh, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. But yeah, we'll do that We'll do that next week. And uh, for this week, I'm Kevin. I'm Ryan. I'm Mark. This is Somebody Likes It.